Hello everyone and welcome to this episode, the visual design one of the Women Talking About Learning podcast. My name is Andrew Jacobs. It seems slightly ironic talking about visual design on a non-visual medium, but it's a topic that people have asked for. I think because we see visual design done wrong so many times, and luckily we have two guests today who both do it very right. Our first guest is Meg Bertapelli. Meg has true global influence as a principal learning experience and instructional designer. She's an instructor and training developer, visual communication and graphic designer, and has enhanced the communication effectiveness of training and course materials for many years. A regular conference speaker, Meg is acknowledged by some of the biggest names in learning as an expert in instructional design. I'm delighted to have Meg on the podcast because we've known each other for a decade online and had never met until the podcast recording. Our second guest was new to me. She's Cassie Labori. Cassie is the founder and principal consultant at Cassie Labori Consulting. She's a virtual classroom master trainer and specialises in developing trainers to be engaging and effective when facilitating programmes in platforms such as Zoom, Adobe Connect and so on. She has worked in a wide range of industries and sectors, including hospitality, pharma, energy, government, etc. As well as working with people as a coach, Cassie has also written two books on virtual training. As always, I'm in the room when we record and fired a few questions in the chat to Meg and Cassie. The way they answer them makes for great listening. This is Women Talking About Learning. This is Meg and Cassie talking about visual design. Hey everybody, this is Meg Bertapelli and I'm so pleased to be here with you, Cassie. Hi Meg and this is Cassie Labori and I'm so excited to be here today too. We're going to talk about visual design and um, I just wanted to say I have been um, sort of passionate about that like my entire life. My mom was a graphic designer and so whenever I did a project in school, like in elementary school even, she'd be like, hey, just, you know, nudge that or maybe a different color or, <laughs> you know. Um, so I've been kind of just learning by osmosis as a kid um, and doing it all my life. What about you? Yeah, I love that. I love this, this idea of visual design too, because as you know, when we started this conversation, I went, wait, what, what is this officially? And then as soon as we start talking about it, it's my whole life too. And I, I can't think of a time that I would have said, oh, let me focus on visual design. Arguably visual design has been the baseline for everything. You know, where can I find a reason to use pink and you know, earliest memories are of uh, rainbows and unicorns and, and begging for, you know, lilac colored carpet so that I could have also the iridescent part come in and all of these things. Color is always driving what I was going to do next. And, you know, in, in terms of what I was thinking about, you know, there's always got to be some sort of color backdrop uh, for me. And then, you know, scent and smell is a whole nother topic we can talk about another time, right? <laughs> But if we want to keep it L&D, color, it's a big thing for me, actually. And it's so interesting, too. Um, it's so interesting yeah. to talk about. Yeah. And I think that there are, you know, certain feelings that colors evoke. Um, and sometimes you get in trouble when there's a different culture involved in, in what you're creating, the audience that you're creating for, mm -hmm. um, that might see that color as something different than what you intended. Um, 
And I think that's kind of where we get in corporate world a little bit boring. <laughs> Have you ever had that happen actually in any of the training materials that you've designed where you got feedback that the color was making something opposite happen or something surprising happened? Or happens. Yeah, so I actually heard at work recently that, you know, the presentation style, we have kind of like a dark style and a light style. And they were doing a presentation um, in an Asian country, and I cannot remember which one, where they were using the light, like very white background everywhere. Um, and they were like, this is very evocative of death because there's so much white. Oh. And in in the US, for instance, that would kind of be opposite of, of the feeling that you might get from a white, very light um, presentation. So I thought that was interesting. They ended up using the other, the other style of presentation for that moving forward. Yeah. I'd never seen it or um, experienced it happen, you know, in real life. I've heard people say, watch out for it, right? But. Yeah, that is so interesting. And, you know, you think about like, for, for me recently, I'll be five years in business this year. Actually, it's exciting. And I remember, <laughs> thank you, doing all of that uh, sort of, well, here, here's the thing, like reality is I want it to be like this and then, and then stepping back and going, I should probably do the research on, you know, what colors, you know, here's me, I want to go into business, what colors shall my business be? That's what like one of my first thoughts, okay. <laughs> first off, <laughs> I mean, of course, it was about a thing that I love, <laughs> but <laughs> it's uh you know, doing the research on what's a good way or, you know, what kind of colors do people respond to? What do they mean? It was very interesting for me because I was very interested in finding how do I make pink work? How can I make pink, pink become business pink? And pink is very much associated with uh, the beauty industry and, uh, and spa and, you know, all of that wellness. And so for, for me to, to decide on my business colors to have some form of pink in it was a little bit of a challenge, you know, and like, can I really do this? But then I ultimately decided I didn't care and I was doing it anyway. Um, but, but interesting, you know, and it's something that was running through my mind all the time as I was, as I was landing on exactly what color pink it would be. <laughs> and uh, right. also on that note too, when I published my first book in 2015, ATD would not have let me use pink. I begged for business pink back then and they wouldn't let me so I landed on aqua which is my second favorite color and also one of my business colors but I that's what my book is and it's not even a full aqua it's more of a they put green in it and uh you know fast forward to uh 2020 they did a conference that was hot pink and black and I was publishing my second book at that point and I went to them I said I'm getting pink because now you've got a conference uh you got a conference where you've got pink so you know that's going to be my book and they did give it to me so very very interesting how color was such a main part of the topic there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, as women, we are associated with pink in the US in modern times, right? Because I think that has shifted over time. Um, it used to be that blue was the girl's color and pink was the boy's color. No, yeah. At the turn of the century, that was the case. Yeah. It's interesting, the history around that and how it changed. Yeah. But I wonder, um, you know, how much, as Andrea uh, mentioned, do people expect women to use pink or to like pink? And I have a friend who hates pink <laughs> and would never use pink. Um, and I think that there is some element to that where, you know, there's a, there's a stereotype of 
women liking pink or wanting to use pink, but um, in a professional setting, it's rare enough that we get to <laughs> the, the fact yeah. that you kind of got to. It was fun. I don't know that in, uh, in the world that you and I work in, in L&D, if anyone's expecting any specific color, but they're, they're not going to be blue. <laughs> women using it. What's that? It's probably going to be blue. If you're expecting any it's color, blue. it's blue. blue. Yeah. And whatever and variation on blue, but I don't know that when the people are necessarily expecting it, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't be surprised if people used it per se, maybe a little, which is a, a design choice from my perspective, obviously, but, um, but they would be surprised if a guy used it. So right. I don't think they would expect a woman to use it, but there would be an element of surprise with, uh, with guys using it. Yeah. Yeah. Which or I think or with topically, if we move to topically with um, technical content, you know, right. which what right. I find so interesting about that is what was that company, uh, the cell phone company that went with hot pink T-Mobile T-Mobile. Yeah. And that's a high tech company. So there you go. <laughs> anyway, I mean, one element of visual design is color, but certainly there's a whole lot of other elements of visual design. Um, sure. In what other ways does visual design play out for you, Meg, in the training that you're designing, delivering, supporting, managing? I think it's um, a huge aspect of uh, managing complexity. And so um, there's the product that I create training materials for and, and support um, is pretty complex. It's a robotic assisted surgical tool, right? So it's basically a robot. <laughs> How do you use that? We talked about that because that's a whole other interesting thing about you and robots and all that. I love that. Yeah, which I kind of love. Um, yeah. but it's pretty complex to use. And, you know, there's a lot of elements of, um, you know, safety and patient safety that you have to consider. And so organizing the content, um, in a visually effective way is key, right? Because, you know, when you look at a user manual for a technical, um, product of some sort, if you can't parse that content and really make sense of it, you're never gonna look at that user manual. And you don't have that luxury with training materials. You kind of need to <laughs> be able to understand it, right? And so as designers, we need to make sure that our materials are understandable. Um, and as you Yeah, oh, sorry, you, I think you're just about to explain, like what are some of the specific things you do in a user manual that fall into that world of visual design? What, what are some, like, if we were to, to give the listeners like the top three things you could do right now, you know, yes. what would that be? Hierarchy, right? Um, having a visual hierarchy, even in the text, right? Um, so having styles for headings and subheadings that are different from each other. Mm. Like if you're going to be different from each other, this is a principle of contrast, then be really different. So, um, when things are too similar, they don't read as different. And so if you have a heading, you know, that's blue and bold and 10 point font, which is pretty small, let's say 14. Um, <laughs> and then you have another, like a subheading that's, you know, 13 point with one point difference, it's not gonna read different, right? It's gonna read the, the same. Um, so kind of elements like that, where you can make that hierarchy super clear um, and white space, white space is huge. Um, and it doesn't have to be white, right? You can have a background that's black, 
and it's still referred to as white space, but it's just the empty space around the content. Um, and whether that's a visual um, or text, it helps you to kind of chunk what is on the screen and really be able to understand it. I think all of the principles of design are important, um, but for communication, I think contrast is a huge one. So contrast and leaving white space or empty space rather. Right, the content, contrast of content and not content, <laughs> right? And having a balance. Like in, in my business, I teach trainers to be trainers and uh, specifically in the virtual environment. So virtual presenting, virtual training. And a big place that we focus is how to avoid lecture because mm. people aren't really listening to you. <laughs> and then another, the other side of that is, how do I get people to interact? And so, okay, stop lecturing first off. And so think about lecture as a whole lot of words on a slide. You know, there's- Right. The, and so a lecture would translate to your reading. And so what we'll do in a visual design, uh, with a visual design approach, uh, I have people practice doing introductions because I want them to practice being on webcam and I want them to practice with timing. I give them only two minutes. I'm like, nobody's listening past two minutes, arguably one minute, but I'm gonna give you two. And so they practice this and they develop slides to upload to, which is a, a technical practice for them too. So they upload the slide, they get two minutes, they come on camera, go. And uh, many people do create a PowerPoint slide with a whole bunch of bullets. And then I'll challenge them and say, well, what if you took off all of those bullets and you put up a few images, like they'll talk about their vacation, their children, their pets, um, you know, their, their work experience, obviously, like, what if you put up an image that represented each one of these? Because inevitably what happens when they put up the words in the bulleted list, they can't help but read it. They can't help but read it out loud. And the next thing you've done is you've lectured me and you've read what I've already read on the slide to me. Thank you. And so if, if we change and put an image, then they go, I don't know what I'm going to say. And so then I go, are you sure? <laughs> Write out your script and practice it and then put that script aside and have that image help you recall what you intended. And the next thing you know, you're moving into storytelling. Um, great, maybe you forgot what you wanted to say for a moment, but then you have to find the way to say it to the, the audience that's in front of you in that moment. Right. So it's right. not that I tell them you have to have everything that you present only in form of an image, <laughs> but at times, where can you put that in to change it? Because not only are you giving yourself the freedom to be more authentic in your communication in that moment, you're also giving the audience that quote empty space to, to hear it and, and experience it without having the words right in front of them on their nose and they're reading it and that's guiding them in, in a lot of ways restricting the thinking and the thought process. Right, because you can read it a hell of a lot faster than someone can read it to you. I know, I know, <laughs> I, know. I always say that too. I, when I teach people, I go, look, I've got a list of things for you to read, like, like three tips to help you improve your visual design. You read it. When you're done reading, <laughs> click the green check. And then, you know, two seconds later, I'm like, you guys read that faster than I could have ever read it to you. Now let's talk about it please draw a circle around the one you want to talk about, you know, <laughs> maybe you want to complain about it. I don't care. Let's have a conversation, you know, and creating. So for me, when I create my training materials that I'm presenting from live, um, I don't share a copy of my slides ever 
because the visuals are something that are encouraging our environment and our moment of interacting together and being together. I, I create a separate handout that goes with whatever I present that is much, much, much shorter <laughs> than the, you know, 30 to 50 slides I might create because I go through quickly with very little on each one. Right. Um, and then there's space for us to work on them. You know, yeah, I think that, you know, that's an interesting point because I think I would do the same thing. Um, slides are cheap, right? So if you want to build like, you know, a visual over the course of 10 slides, do it. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Slides are totally cheap. Um, By the way, I'm quoting you, slides are cheap. Meg Bertapelli. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the content that comes with you as a presenter or, um, you know, the activity that you're doing together in that training moment is not going to be in the slide necessarily. And it shouldn't be because if it is, again, you've got a lecture on a slide or you've got a book, right? You don't actually have a presentation, you have a book. Um, so I absolutely agree with you in the separate, you know, material other than the presentation slides. And you can make the handout out of your slides mm -hmm. if you add some of that content in somehow. And actually um, there's a great tutorial about that from Richard Goring at Bright Slides or Bright Carbon, sorry, is the name of his business um, to kind of figure out how to do that, how to do the handouts that sort of match with your slides in terms of design, but have that additional content that you wouldn't get if you just printed the slides. Right, right. Um, I think there's other things, uh, Andrew's prompting us about another question. I know, more, uh, more, more problems. <laughs> yes, what other problems do we see in visual design? Oh my gosh, I mean, so many. Where do you want to start first, right? I, I know. I, I think my memory. biggest pet peeve is um, something we already talked about where it's just too much, too much content on a slide and people are trying to read it or understand it without the presenter. What about you? Uh, <laughs> don't get mad at me, all the companies of the world. And please know I have a whole lot of respect for marketing and brand. I really, really do. But really, does it need to be on every single slide? And does every single slide need to be the same? <laughs> you know, must the logo and the contact information take up valuable learning space? <laughs> you know, I know I'm be rude, but really, can I just do it with the first and last slide, please? Yes, yeah. please. And there's a there's something to be said for consistency, right? You have you have something that you expect, right? But yes, it takes a valuable real estate that I can use to communicate visually. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not adding anything to that communication. I know, Absolutely. it's just in the way and yeah. it's just, yeah, I, I hope that one day we can get past all of that. I would love to. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Meg, earlier you mentioned contrast and uh, I wanna, it made me think about font and uh, and different fonts and i'm curious if you had an opinion on are there are there too many like what's the magic number should i use the same font and only contrast with size or can i use different complementary fonts and if so how many can i get away with <laughs> uh i would say in the in the interest of communication that less is more um but the <laughs> Uh, there, there is a way to use multiple fonts if they are purposeful, right? So um, there are fonts that are designed just for display or large headings or titles. 
I would say if anything, um, do not use display fonts for body text in any way, shape or form, because it makes it so much harder to read. They're generally um, funkier fonts, right? Um, they have a little bit, they're a little bit harder to read, but because it's in a title and you know, it's usually very large, it works, right? But once you get down to like a normal body text size, like 12 or 10, they're impossible. Um, so I would keep it simple on the body text. And I think that um, in the digital world, uh, I don't remember where I saw this research, but um, it seems that sans serif, so the ones without the little feet, yes. are actually more readable. Yes. Um, but in print, the ones with little feet are a little more readable. So it kind of depends on your purpose. Yeah. Um, and also kind of the style and feeling. So fonts for me anyway, definitely evoke certain feelings and, and implications. And so they have a story to them and a, and a, I'm trying to think of the word that I'm trying to say, but they do evoke some sort of meaning just yeah. by their design. I think they do. Um, Are you thinking of any specifically? Like when you said that, uh, when I honeymooned in Hawaii, and I love anything like vintage Americana. I love, you know, vintage Hawaiian, and I love Art Deco. And so for me, any kind of font that looks like that era, I love mid-century modern. Uh, I'm looking all the time for that. I have in my phone pictures of ho hotels get fonts correct all the time. The Hotel Waialea in Maui, I love that font. I've searched it online. It's like they made it up just for their logo because I tried to find it and say, can I make that the font for my business? <laughs> so I am very emotionally drawn to the style of certain fonts uh, for, for whatever, you know, for the Absolutely. visual feel. Yeah, are there any that come to mind for you? Um, you know, in certain, um, settings and certain situations, I really like a nice round O, right? Very modern, thin line, round O. And you know, sometimes the A's do it for me because A's tend to have some character to them, like lowercase A's, yeah. um, but like a century, century Gothic, I think, is the one that's just really round. So if you have in your design a lot of circles, and um, you know, round shapes in your design or or in the content that you're trying to teach about, like you're teaching about gears and wheels and stuff like that. You know, that might be a good one to use because it kind of matches in terms of the shape. Um, yeah. And it might be, and it's pretty ubiquitous, right? Like everybody kind of has that one because that's another thing that you want to worry about mm -hmm. if you're going to have to change the font because the people who are viewing need to have it. <laughs> Or, or they're going to have to edit it, like especially when you're a right. um, a contractor or something like that. So. Oh right, yeah, you have brand fonts and things you have to use. Yeah, um, and sometimes you're stuck with the brand, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to shift gears a little bit, I, as I'm considering this 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 idea of just visual design and how it plays out for me in my work, um, I teach multiple session courses, so people are getting together and uh, and on an average we'll have five sessions and uh, we're all in this. It's a, it's a program. So it's a multi-session program that will go over weeks. 
and um, and it's all topically on becoming a, a virtual trainer, but there's different aspects of that. And the way that I've designed my program is each class that we get together live is a certain color. Mm -hmm. um, and the competency model is is mapped to that or the capability model. So today we're in, you know, today is the day that we're in blue <laughs> and everything right. will match that in the handout and the participant manual and in the slides. But I, I do keep consistency with the way that it's presented. It's just that I'll change the color scheme to match the topic. Yeah. And, and I've done that too in, um, you know, sections of a course, essentially, right? Having different options for colors. Um, and you have to be careful that, because um, there are people that aren't going to read that, right? There are people who are colorblind or, or just... Right, they're not going to notice it. That's right. And it's like, for me, it doesn't necessarily matter, but it does, it, it matters for me. But it doesn't necessarily matter end game for the learning. It, it, right, it as long as you're clear. Yeah. In other ways, right? Like you're clear with the titling and with the content. Right. Um, right. But it's a nice visual cue um, that something new is happening. That's and that right. All of these things go together. I did that too, and even uh, a webinar that I did where I had five keys for for the topic, five keys for a virtual training, and how to be successful. And each key was a different color. But again, the design was the same, but we had a different color. And so whenever the slide and, and every step and that set of slides matched that color around it. Right. Yeah. And again, like even if you didn't notice it, it would be OK. But if you did notice it or maybe if you just even like unintentionally noticed it, it was happening. And, yeah. um, you know, there's a lot of for me because it's such a creative process to create these things. It, it's something for me just to be inspired to continue to create, honestly. And so whether somebody notices it or not, I'm still going to do it. And right. I and I do think a lot of people notice it. But again, it's I think they do too. They didn't have to. Yeah. Right. Um I think people notice without realizing that they notice too. Right. So some some people like me or you, we looked at our other stuff, we would probably say, "Oh, I really like this thing that you did." Um but yes, as Andrew saying, people notice when it's bad and they'll probably oh, yeah, say something. Yeah. <laughs> but if it's good, they just kind of like experience it and you know hopefully the communication is better and then you know it just sort of fades into the background which in that sense is a good thing right mm -hmm. um but people who have it on their brains already will notice when it's good as well <laughs> like it's it's ambient in its execution but it's it's very strategic in yeah. in the creation side and and it's it's strategic in the delivery and, and people will say, wow, that was wonderful. And they may not necessarily, they may not say it was wonderful because of how it looked. They, they will just experience it. Right. Yeah, and that's, that's an amazing thing about it. Um, Andrew's asking us, how did we learn this? I mean, obviously we were born with it, right, Meg? But no, <laughs> bumper car method, I think, uh, is how I learned it, which is how I learned a lot of things. Don't ever do that again, Cassie. Okay, noted, thank you. What should I, and then, you know, more mature Cassie says, what should I have done instead? And then I've learned from feedback. And uh, also, you know what, the, the, idea, like we, we, I brought up it's ambient, you know, why didn't I maybe it didn't notice. It was just wonderful to be there. Uh, asking myself why, and then seeking out mentors and going back and watching other presenters, other trainers, instructional designers. Why am I drawn to what that learning experience was like? And, um, for me, I think I'm such a visual person to begin with. 
a, a creative person anyway. So I'm going to be drawn to that. So seeking out those that I'm in, that I admire and saying, I want, I want mine to look like that too. Yeah. It's somehow. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mentioned earlier that my mom was a graphic designer when I was growing up. And so I kind of learned um, certain things at her knee, but it was sort of like, she didn't really talk about why, like we had to nudge this up because it's too close to this other stuff, you know, like, let's just give it a little more space. Right. And so she would kind of say these little comments and they just sort of go in one ear and out the other. But like, as I continued to create things for school or just for myself, like I've Think I got better at it. Um, but I love that what you said about looking at things you love and going, how can I, like, why do I love that? And how can I recreate that in my own work in some way? Right. right. That's absolutely, I think, and I'm passionate about visuals. I'm a crafty person and I do all kinds of other art and craft stuff. Um, but yeah, when you see something, you're like, I love that. It's it's an emotional pull. Mm -hmm. Um, for me anyway. And so then, yes, I will go and say, how can I make that or some element of it in the work that I'm doing? Right. Um, so on to it for a reason. You know, when I'm, when I'm coaching people, I'll ask them, you know, who do you, who do you admire and why? What is it about them that draws you to that? Is it an approach? Is it, you know, and, and you know what, nine times out of 10, People are drawn to things because they have an element of their own personality that is like that or that they want to be more like that. Yes, absolutely. I was just going to say personality. Yeah. Like we're definitely drawn to people's personalities and, um, you know, how they communicate is a huge aspect of that. And you communicate visually as well. So, mm -hmm. so who do you love and who do you follow and? um, get inspiration from. There's so, there's so many people that uh, I, I am always inspired by those that are doing something a little bit edgy or off the beaten path. Anybody who's going to do anything that's like related to superheroes or, um, uh, anything maybe like in the horror or monster world, I'm going to love that. Anything vintage or retro, I'm going to love anything with a lot of color and especially unusual colors. I love Betty Danowitz and how she uses um, her little smirk face for her logo. <laughs> you yes. know, there's so many people that, uh, and today we're getting more and more open to those kind of ways. And of course, that's exactly how I represent myself, all of those things. So I'm going to be drawn to other people that are doing it too, you know, because we, we see what we want to see in the world, which is quite interesting. And it's a whole other conversation to start talking about what are you missing and why are you missing it? <laughs> but but I think that those are just some of the people and specifically Betty, she always inspires me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I think from a visual design perspective, I found um, Duarte design, so Nancy Duarte, mm -hmm. um, super impactful. So the things that she's creating and her, her business are creating um, always speak to me from a visuals and communication uh, standpoint. And so I love her work and she has, or their work, I guess, it's, whole, it's a whole company worth of people. <laughs> it's not just one person. Um, they have tons of resources on their website. Um, and then you for, mentioned Richard Goring too, and Richard's really mm -hmm. interesting with the way he approaches PowerPoint and all the different things that he can teach you about paying attention to the visual techniques that you use. 
of course. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think we were talking about pet peeves earlier. One of my pet peeves is alignment. I can see when something is, um, you know, like a pixel off and it just bugs me. Um, and so there, they have a plugin called Bright Slide, which is the thing that's on my mind, which is why I said that first earlier. But um, that that plugin has some tools to help you align things in, in PowerPoint because, you know, PowerPoint has the guides and stuff, but there it's just never 100% perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want to use it, right? Um, and so Brightside just has all these extra tools that help you with things like that. And I love it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's picky, especially when you're talking about fonts, because they have a certain sort of kerning and spacing that just kind of come with them. And even if you have like zero um, margins on your text box, because please put zero margins on your text box so things can line up. But sometimes certain fonts will even be in from that. Mm -hmm. And so then I'm like, arrow key, arrow key. <laughs> okay, we're good. <laughs> Are you doing this to other presenters or like, do you do this to, to live things as well? Well, I notice it when it's other people and I just kind of go, okay, moving on. <laughs> but when it's mine, I'm like, mm, no, I'm not letting that out the door. <laughs> Yeah, I've totally been known to be like, one second, and I'll like escape full screen, fix the slide, and go, all right, fixed it. Let's proceed. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's so interesting. <laughs> yes, yes. And when you're, you know, when you're trying to fix something on the fly, um, you know, I, I am kind of a perfectionist in that. So like, I probably would only fix it on the fly if it was really bad. Um, yeah, or like cool. things were on top it of each other because you had a layer that didn't animate or something like that. You know, and it depends on the context too. Like, are you actually live in front of an audience or are you teaching a class? What are you doing? Yeah. You know what, to, to shift it just a little bit as our kind of final topic here, we're talking about visual design and, uh, and, and how that's impacting how people are learning, whether or not they're paying attention, uh, so much of that. And I can't help but think about what about this isn't design, but this is visual intention when we're on webcam because our world is webcam today. And so there's a lot of uh, how should I look on webcam? Should I use a virtual background or what should I look into the camera the whole time? What should I do? And I'm so curious, Meg, I have a million opinions on all this stuff, but what what do you think? And what, what's been your experience with webcam visuals? <laughs> I don't do as much presenting as you do. So I'm usually in a situation where it's just a meeting. So I'm not super worried about it most of the time. When I am going to present, um, I would probably clean up behind me, <laughs> which actually is relatively clean right now. But um, great, actually, I'm sitting there thinking, you're ready for prime time, what I'm looking at. I had at. a whole bunch of art stuff on the table, but we, our cleaning people came today. So <laughs> I had to clean it up. Um, but the, the, Backgrounds, um, I have really curly hair and it doesn't do that very well. And so they always end up looking a little messy for me personally. Um, mm. And like if anybody's wearing a headset, it always like misses between the headset and your actual head. I know. <laughs> Unless you have a green screen and you have different things yeah. going on and you're, 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 you're setting it up so that it can be perfect, then right. it does do that. It's interesting. Right. Are people asking like, should we do virtual? background should we not and you know my experience has been that i'm just so thankful for so many options that 
the reality is people are judging you based on what they see and is what you are sending in alignment with your messaging, with your brand and with how you want people to see you. So, in, you know, in the olden days, when we talked about, you know, pay attention to what you wear, it's not only now what you wear, but it is also how you're presenting yourself. And I think virtual backgrounds can be amazing. Um, I think they can be the great equalizer in so many ways, because there's so many people today working in spaces that are not ideal. And, you know, I think about, I was working with some people last week, and they are highly technical. Most of them are guys, highly technical. And, uh, you know, this guy, he presents very often from his daughter's bedroom. And she's got my little pony images behind, you know, and, and like, he was laughing about it. But there was a part of me that started thinking about, well, what if someone didn't find that funny? And what if, you know, they were worried about how they were being perceived as they were presenting? And how wonderful is it today that we have the option for a virtual background in a specific case like that? So somebody could still present and be seen as they wish to be seen. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Love that. And it's absolutely. Like, so many, like either use it or don't. But what we need to do is be cognizant of what people might be thinking and also importantly, how you're feeling and thinking and that you're setting yourself up in the best way possible. And I'm just so thankful for the options, you know, absolutely. to or not just do be your best and do your best. And we have choices today. Yes. And I'm kind of, you know, expanding on that, I think it's really easy because you're at home um, to just wear something comfortable. If you're presenting, I would choose to wear, you know, what you would wear to present if you were in person, right? right? If, to that end, right? Like just present yourself as, um, as you would like to be seen and received seen and yes, yes. and received. Exactly. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. Thank yeah. you. It's amazing. There's so many ways that visual design, visual intention uh, plays out when we connect with people. And it's so very important in learning development, I think. And I think we could probably talk about it for many, many more hours. And Meg, it's been so much fun to be with you and to be discussing this. And I'm so glad we talked about robots again, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's been really great to talk to you, too, Kathy. And it's been great to um, just be able to connect with you in between conferences, which I also love. I know. I can't wait to see you again soon, Meg. And uh, it's been a real pleasure to be having this conversation with you today. Ditto. <laughs> there were so many useful links that Meg and Cassie recommended. The show notes are extensive. A massive thank you to both Meg and Cassie. And you'll find their profiles, LinkedIn connections, web addresses, etc. in the show notes as well. In the show notes, you'll also find how to contact us. We have a couple of episodes in the can, but it's still recording, so please do get in touch if you know someone who would be a good guest. And that also means you. If you want to record, please do let us know. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we'll see you again soon.